Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Friday, everyone. It is Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays or whatever it is that you celebrate, make it a happy one. This is episode number 190 of Shut Up and Grind. We're getting closer and closer to that 200 milestone. We're getting there. So of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So now if you are brand new to this show, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're about defying the odds and helping you clear the path of whatever is in your way from reaching your goals. And so if you, again, if you're new, if you're joining me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you're joining me on Facebook, please like and share because you don't want to keep all this good stuff to yourself. So my guest today is another member of the Five Kid Club because as you all know, I have my foster five. So we're going to be talking about parenting and how to get the most out of your kids without being a tyrant. So I think we're going to have a really good conversation about this because, you know, a couple of decades ago, I was probably that tyrant p- parent that she's going to talk about when I bring her on. But, you know, as I've matured and grown, you know, I've, I've learned how to get through to, to the kids without having to constantly drop the iron fist. So I think we're going to have a great conversation about that. And so, again, if you're brand new and you have no idea who I am, let me introduce myself. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of front of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what, like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. You know why you do what you do. You have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. So that's me. All right, so for today's teachable moment, and then we'll bring my, bring my guest on. Today, I want to talk about seizing the opportunity, because one of the biggest things, one of the biggest excuses people use is it's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. So if there's something that you, that you want to, to do and you keep putting it off, 
I know I've said this in multiple teachable moments. I'm just going to say it from a different angle this time is to just get started. To just get started. The only time you're guaranteed is right now, <laughs> right now, this moment. And I know I've shared several times about what happened to my sister in 2016, where she's a special education. Um, uh, I don't know her full title, but she works in special education in Massachusetts. And so she was at one school and she was driving to go to her next appointment at another school. And then she woke up three weeks later in the hospital because while she was driving, she had a brain aneurysm burst. And there's only a 20% chance of survival with these things. And so she's in that 20% because five years later, she's still here with us. But just since that happened to her, she started think looking back on things that she kept putting off and kept putting off. And I told her, you know, don't don't beat yourself up. You know, everything happens for, for a reason. Like you went through this for a reason. You know, let's package up the story and let's go inspire people with it. You know, but just, just the point is, is by in putting things off, like you're not guaranteed that you're going to get to it. So just get started. And then once you get started, you know, you don't have to write your book in four days. You know, like if you want to write write a book, just do what you can. If you only have 10 minutes a day, give those 10 minutes a day. Then by the end of the year, your book might be done. And if you want to start, start a podcast, just start talking. When I started mine, I just started talking. I didn't have a fancy camera. I didn't have the fancy microphone. I didn't have any of this stuff. I just sat down and started talking. My first couple lives, nobody was on the live stream. <laughs> it was just me talking to myself, essentially. And then over time, now we've built up an audience. I have, have guests from all over the world, and we're listened to in 31 countries now. You know, But none of that would have happened if I didn't have the courage to get started. Okay, So that's the teachable moment of the day. So now let's talk about how to, how to handle your kids when they get on your last nerve, because you know it happens. So my guest, she is a best-selling author, a family empowerment coach, and the founder of Pumped Up Parenting and Fun Fit Family Fitness. Just that title sounds like a cool place to visit. So she's a mom of five kids, two she gave birth to, and three she gained from marriage, as well as a grandma of nine. She has successfully parented a blended family for over 24 years. So helping me with this discussion is Celia Kibler. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Thanks, okay. Robert. How good, are you? Good. I am doing great. So good morning to you. And thank you for taking the time to come and share your experiences and your expertise with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So so you said backstage that you're from Maryland. What part? Uh, just outside of Baltimore in Glen Burnie. Okay. I got I got to start start connecting you guys because you're probably like my eighth, my eighth person that I've had on that's from just outside Baltimore. Oh, uh, really? You know, yeah, get a there's little a lot network. Of outside Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> That's very true. So are you originally from Maryland? I am. Born born and bred here in Baltimore and okay. uh, haven't spent a whole lot of time outside of Maryland, although I have. And okay. uh, my children, two of my children are here. My, son, my husband's sons are in Virginia, so just a couple hours away. So okay. fortunate to be close to all my family. Nice. Love it. Absolutely love it. What's your favorite thing about living there? Uh, crabs. I love crabs. <laughs> and I live on the water. So I guess that's, I'm super grateful to live on the water. It's just nice. peaceful, calm. The birds are always out and <laughs> boats are out and, you know, doesn't get much better than that. Love it. Awesome. All right. So through the lens of your best friend, how would they describe you? 
I would say my best friend who I have known since we were two years old and now at 63. Oh, no, she's 64 now. Oh, that's right. She just had a birthday. So uh, through our many, many 60 years, she would say I'm kind, compassionate, a great mom, a great grandma, and I love my family and I care very deeply for all living things. Oh, nice. Love it. Great answer. Yeah, so if you see me look, looking down, I, I have a notebook. I take notes. That's fine. All good. All right. <laughs> all right. So how would you describe your upbringing? I was raised by two very loving parents who sadly are both gone now, but that's because I'm old and they were too lucky. Luckily, they lived nice long lives. My mother lived to be 88 and my father nice. just passed away a year and a half ago at 92. Uh, they were very loving, married almost 70 years. Crazy, right? Wow. And uh, my father, though, he was a yeller. He, he came from a dad who physically and mentally and that's the question too though it's like have, have they been listening like my oldest son there's a 10, 10 year gap between my oldest son and my twin boys so he's he's 22 and my twin boys are 12 and like they were out playing basketball once and my oldest son he was he was the rebel of of the, the i have five so he was the rebel and he, he was the one that caused three quarters of these and so the they're out playing on the basketball court and I'm in the window just watching and just listening to, to the way he's coaching them and encouraging them. And I was like, oh my God, he has it. <laughs> it was like, a, <laughs> like for the last two decades, I didn't think he had it. I was like, but he has it. It's in there, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. so, so just watching it, watching it finally manifest. It's like, yes. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Good stuff. All right. So, so you... All right, so you went back to New York after after the fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then, okay, so what was it like, you know, for for that that part of your life growing up? You mean the the sixth grade on? Yeah. Uh, there were some tough moments. Not gonna lie, sixth okay. grade can be a challenging time for all people. Yeah. And I was in a Catholic school, so I was in a K eight Catholic school. That's my parents chose that for as long as possible. Yeah. And I'm in a class of maybe, maybe 15 people. It might not have even been 15. It might've been 12. And there was this one young lady. I won't say her name in public. I have said it in <laughs> private, but she did not like me. And yeah. I really don't know why I, I don't remember doing something that would make her not like me, but she did not like me. And she made my life very, very difficult. But okay. then she moved in seventh grade and it was awesome. <laughs> so I don't know what she did. I don't know what she's up to now. So that one year, pretty rough. And then she left and it was night and day. And it's funny. I'm still friends with people that was that were back in that seventh and eighth grade class. Because by the time it hit eighth grade, there were only eight of us. Okay. So having an eighth grade class of seven other students is an interesting experience. Yes. And sure enough, at least three of them not closely connected with, but enough that got a birthday card and how are you doing and how's the family and all this. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that would be the case if that young woman had stayed in, <laughs> had stayed at our school. <laughs> so wherever she went, I'm glad she left. I wish her well. Wow. So how, how did that, that affect you with, with her, with her doing that to you? 
It was really rough. I remember liking the other people, but it was that she's going to turn people against me. And so I've mm. still, have this, of course, you know, the memories are vivid when seventh grade was more than a few years ago for me. <laughs> and I played basketball and I was on the team. And I remember visiting with her and someone else. I think we were in the bathroom, maybe after school getting ready or something. I don't remember the exact details, but it was, oh yeah, practice is at this time. And she flat out told me the wrong time on purpose. Mm. So I would miss practice. Wow. Like, really? Like, but why is this that important to you to mess my life? So I tried to just keep on keeping on best I could, but yeah. I will say it just got better when she was gone. That's a good thing. Yeah. If there was, if there was a positive that came from last year, it was my, my twin boys started in middle school. And one, one of them's a little on the sensitive side. And, uh, you know, like, he, he cries easily, like, if, if he gets upset. And, you know, middle middle school kids suck. Like, let's just call it what it is. You know, they, they can be some mean, evil, evil people. <laughs> you know, I hate, to, I hate to use the word evil to describe kids, but some of them can be. And mm-hmm. I, was just, I was just nervous about that transition going in. But then it was distance learning for the entire year. So it's like, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you know? so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they escaped, you know, having to tell a story like that right because those Mm -hmm. those things stick with you oh yeah i mean again here we are later i still remember it very Mm -hmm. well and it stuck exactly boy oh boy all right so what did you see yourself doing for a career back then i really didn't know i wasn't sure i i felt like it just kind of came organically i was At the time, it's funny to think back to early college, I was planning on a major of Spanish. I had taken, and it was just because I liked the Spanish language and I had been learning it since sixth grade. So I'd had a pretty significant amount of time, enjoyed it, thought maybe I'd be an interpreter for the UN. Mm. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I did. First time I heard that one. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't happen. So I'm in college. I have my Spanish major. I'm reading Spanish literature and enjoying it, but then realized, I don't think this interpreter thing is a good idea. And Mm. I thought, well, okay, I don't know what I do want to do. And I'll be honest, I don't remember where I, how I landed on this decision, but I switched my major to elementary education. I think okay. it was that I had had, I grew up with a big family. I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me, I a sister who's a teacher. So maybe there was that to it. And then also in middle school, I think it was very late middle school after that person left, I was actually a religious ed teacher, okay. enjoyed it. So maybe that was, it was like, oh yeah, I did that. That was teaching. And I switched my major and went into education and taught for five years and nice. it just seemed, it seemed right. Okay. All right. So what made you leave after five years? My own children. Okay. So <laughs> I was due with my daughter on November 1st and I taught kindergarten and it's funny okay. how the littlest things seem to completely change your life. I was planning on teaching, having my daughter, going back maybe 12 weeks later, that was a plan. I thought yeah. that's what I'll do. Being being due at the beginning of the school year, at the end of the school year before, I'm getting bigger and bigger and fast mm. forward thinking to the fall, thinking, wait a minute, I'm going to be nine months pregnant. I'm going to be getting down on the floor with these kids. Maybe mm. I won't be able to get back up. <laughs> and I realized it just wasn't fair. I didn't think it was fair to me. 
to my yeah. students, to the parents to think too, at the very beginning of the year. And again, this is kindergarten. If I had taught first grade, I might not have made any changes at all, but having it be their first year of school thinking what I'm going to leave weeks into the school year. I barely know them. Then they have a sub, then I come back. And so I just decided to retire, <laughs> so, okay. which wasn't really a plan, but I thought <laughs> they'll get maybe the school might get a more qualified candidate being a full-time permanent position than a temporary one. Yes. And I had, the thought process that if I wanted to go back, I could just apply again. If I got a job once, I could get a job again. Yeah. And when my daughter was one at her birthday, I'm telling people I'm pregnant with her brother. So I thought, <laughs> okay, now I'm not going back again. And having I, my kids are 19 and a half months apart in age and okay. decided to stay home and raise them. And that's, okay. why I did. So that's why I didn't go back into teaching. And then I just never went back. <laughs> All right, so so you you played the uh, not played, but you were a stay at home mom for a while, full time, mm -hmm. okay, to, for a good nine years, okay. And I Boy, think okay. that is a big lie. That uh, it is my opinion. It's a big lie that oh, it's all good when your kids go to school. That is <laughs> not true at all. And I remember, and I and I believe that because that's what quote everybody says. Yeah. Well, no one really says. Well, they go to school for maybe eight to three, that's not a full-time job. So the idea of going back into the workforce, I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I could go back into teaching, but then if I'm not at their school and then they have days off, but I have different days off. Yeah. And I just thought, well, this isn't as much of a no brainer as people make it out to be. Yes. I agree with and that. So I kept staying home and, and it also gave me the chance to volunteer in their classroom, which it was interesting being a former teacher, then being on the parent side yes. for working in my son's classroom. A number of the parents at the school and the teachers already knew me because this is the second child. And I didn't tell, I didn't make a point to tell people I was a teacher because I didn't want it to be awkward or, oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you how to do your job because that's not what it is. In this role, I'm the parent. But it just kind of slipped out one day. And of course, the <laughs> kindergarten teacher had me running reading groups. She's like, oh, come here. You're you're come, you're doing this. Like, okay. I mean, I had the experience. I was yeah. able to do it. So I had probably a more advanced parent volunteer role than some other parents who hadn't had five years of teaching okay. experience. And but, did that did that help help you stay stay connected with that field? It did. It did, but yet it didn't make me want to go back because I had this thought that either especially teaching early elementary, I think it is very physically and emotionally draining being with the littles and I thought, you know, I'm not sure if I will be able to give my best energy to both the children I gave birth to and my students. And I felt like somebody's mm -hmm. going to lose out because if I'm the best teacher and I'm giving them my all at the end of the day, I'd say I'm spent. I can't, <laughs> I can't work yeah. with you. And so I thought somebody was going to get shortchanged, whether it be the kids I gave birth to or my students. And I just didn't think that was fair. It's, it's that's spot on. See now, even in, in the gym world for a while, I started teaching kids classes and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. It's like we, we, I had to change locations. And so when I changed locations, I ended the kids program. <laughs> I was like, Look, I have five of my own, you know? So it's like when, when I'm not at the gym doing my thing, I'm home be, being, being a dad. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm mm-hmm. a sing, and I'm a single parent too, so I know all, all about that. That even when they go to school, there's still stuff to do anyway. Oh, you know? absolutely. So mm-hmm. It's definitely easier being an entrepreneur because I, I control my schedule, so I make sure that I get to all the after school events and volunteer when I can and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but but mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's still there's still work that needs to be done. Like always, I love when people when pe- people say, "Oh, she's just a stay at home mom." Like just, it's like just. <laughs> It's like there, there's still a lot of work to be done, and I always say, I'm sorry, but I don't care what heights you hit, you hit in your career. There's nothing more powerful you can do than raise respectful, productive children. <laughs> nothing. They don't care how much money people amass. I don't care if you're the president of the of the uh, United States. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like if you're raising respectful, productive, you know. Uh, future members of society like there's no better thing that you can leave behind <laughs> nothing you know but, but but just that that just gets glossed over in society it absolutely does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh i remember this is a little little off topic but i remember i was in the market this one day and i had three of my kids they were smaller and the woman in front front of me is like oh you guys hanging with dad for the weekend and i was like <laughs> i was like I'm not that dude. <laughs> you know, you are incorrect. I was like, don't you dare assume. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm a full time parent with these children. Like, I'm not that every other weekend dad. You know, I was like, I'm so offended by that. It's like, I'd be offended know? too. That's so <laughs> presumptuous. Yes, exactly. I said, yeah, I, I get it. It happens a lot, but that's, that's not, not me. me. <laughs> well, and I think too, you make the good point of respectful, kind members of society because. Sure, you can be home with your kids and watching, who knows, Real Housewives all day and completely ignoring your children. Yes. And <laughs> we'll see how they turn out. You never know. But if you are my my time, and I do remember it, I'm trying to take them to play groups and take them mm-hmm. places and museums and helping them maybe make some good eating habits and all the the stuff. It's a lot of thinking and the exhaustion of just toddlers who don't listen and want to run into the street and and doing that 24 <laughs> 7 that's yep. a lot it really is mm-hmm. <laughs> the toddlers want to run into the street we know uh, come on anyways a toddler you know they want to run oh, into the I street know. i know ne- never forget i have visions of my older daughter she was maybe two or three at the time i was downstairs loading the dishwasher and i, I saw a little pink flash like so, somehow this little thing got the door open and she's walking outside. I go, Flavia! I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, turn, turn my back by half a second. And that's all it takes. <laughs> and I had the experience. It's so interesting having kids. They're 19 and a half months apart. So you'd think similar experiences and similar parenting experiences. That You know, one was barely walking and then there's the other one. But they were very different sizes. So mm-hmm. I had my daughter first, who's always been smaller. I think by the time maybe she was three, her brother passed her. And now he's a man child. He's almost six feet tall. And <laughs> it, it worked out the way I thought it would. But yeah. he could reach things that she couldn't at the same age because he was so much taller. Gotcha. So I'd be, oh, I'm working here in the counter. And I see him grab a knife. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, 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 you can reach that because at the <laughs> yeah. same age, your sister couldn't reach that. And that's, again, they're not even two years apart and I had different experiences. <laughs> and that's me standing there. You're waving around a knife. So true. Yeah. Like I mentioned, my, my twin boys, like even though they, they look nothing alike, 
Like one is dead serious. One's your your complexion, and the other one is mine. And uh, so Ben, he's about maybe three and a half inches taller than Ricky. About three, wow. and, he, and he's twenty pounds heavier. <laughs> you know, it's like if I wasn't there, you know, because the hospital when they when they were born, <laughs> there was only one other baby and them two. So it's like if I wasn't there, like I. I Feel like there was a mix-up here somewhere <laughs> but but it's so funny all of his features everything like he he looks just like just like me he just got no melanin at all you know but it's just amazing just how how different they can be you're, you're spot on with that like mm-hmm. my my three boys all of them are so similar and my two girls are so different like they're very into their their hygiene they're very clean they're both straight a students and with the boys, it's like, did you brush your teeth? No, go brush your teeth. <laughs> Next day, did you brush your teeth? No, go brush your teeth. <laughs> I actually put my arm around them the other day. I was like, boys, you're going to be 13 in March. 13. And I said, it's been a decade. I've been telling you to brush your teeth and put on deodorant. <laughs> and every single day, I ask the same question, and you give me the same answer. <laughs> it's been a decade, people. <laughs> I'm like, just one day, just shock me and be like, dad, we have it on. <laughs> yes, we brushed our teeth. We Please. did the things without you asking. <laughs> All right. So let's shift into what you're doing now. So just walk walk me through how you got started. Well, it's an interesting answer. I'm like, well, there's what I do full-time. So I do have a full-time job that I work for a nonprofit. I work for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I got into that because I was a volunteer first. So back when I'm home with my children, My brother, Corey, was diagnosed with large B-cell lymphoma, and I decided to join team and training, and I was going to run a half marathon and do that in his honor. And I did the first one in his honor, enjoyed it, came back a second season, and unfortunately, by the time the second season happened, it was in his memory. So it was a quick, well, quick is relative, but about 14 months, I think, from diagnosis to when he passed away. And I was still home with the children and then right place, right time, talked with the national manager in this organization. There happened to be a spot on her team. And so that is where I've been full time for the last eight years. And you talk about being an entrepreneur. It's not being an entrepreneur, but I do have the flexible schedule and I did get to pick up my kids from school. And if I need to take a break during the day and I have about as flexible schedule as I could possibly ask for nice. in a full-time job. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Okay. And then yes. the, go ahead. Go ahead. no, no, go ahead. Oh no. I was just, just going to add on that earlier this year, my, uh, my niece lost her two-year-old son to, to leukemia. It was a talk, talking about a fast turnaround it was four days. Oh. Yeah, I guess, I guess he, he was acting a little, little odd. <clears throat> excuse me, out of the ordinary. And so they brought him to the emergency room and this was on the Thursday and he passed that Tuesday. Crazy. Wow, just. Yep. Craziness. So yeah, he died of, uh, of leukemia. Um, okay. So you said you're a drag connoisseur. You, yeah. you, you, you had to know we, we were going to get there. <laughs> you have to. It, people get interested when I say things like that. And yes. Especially someone who, four years ago, I had never seen a drag show in my life. 
Okay. Ever. I knew drag existed. I knew of it as an art form. I think I'd you know seen pictures of drag yeah. queens, but never actually been in a space to see a show. Never even saw an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. None of the above. Okay. And I was in a musical. I was in community theater. And the musical choreographer happened to be a drag queen, which I don't even know when I found that out. But we be just became mm -hmm. friends. This is my friend Josh. And yeah. Had a great season. And then after the season was over, I get a text from Josh saying, do you want to be a backup dancer for a drag show pageant? I said, Interesting. yes. <laughs> like, I didn't even think about it. Why would I say <laughs> no to that? Here's my friend asking me for help. Yeah. And so I went to a place in town that I love. It's called Five Night Club. And I went there on a Saturday afternoon in October. Still, still at that point, hadn't seen drag or anything, but that was where we were meeting to work on the choreography to practice for this pageant. So right. there I meet, I see Josh was already my friend. And then I meet three other people who I met them, Dan, Jacob, Michael, but it turns out they're also drag queens as well. Right. So I have a very unique perspective in that I met, it's like, oh, I met these people. And it's like, I met them out on the street and we hung out and then, oh, they just happen to be drag queens. Whereas I think other people will just go to a drag show and just see drag. So I met these people, they became my friends. And then I started following their shows, of course. It was, oh, this one's hosting a show, this one's hosting a show and started going more and more. And I loved it. The first show I went to, I went, I luckily went to a show before I performed in one. So okay. I at least, <laughs> I, I went to one before my performance and I thought, where has this been my whole life? I loved it. The the costumes, the makeup, the wigs. It, I felt like I was just watching mini musicals all night because at least the drag I was seeing, they put on music, they lip sync to it. They're dancing around. I was in heaven. And so <laughs> as I became friends with more and more of them, I just went to more and more and more shows as often as I could. And I was so fortunate that this place, Five, was five minutes from my house. So it had been there this whole time, never even knew it existed. And now I thought, this great place, I get in my car. And one time it was four minutes that I looked from the time I got in my car till I got <laughs> home. It was four minutes away. Wow. All right. So before you went to the first show, what kind of what, what kind of visions did you have in your mind of, of what to expect? I didn't really know what to expect because I still hadn't had that experience of seeing it and mm -hmm. I knew it would probably be fun in that I had met these other people who happen to be queens and they're fun people and they're performers so I think I just expected it to be fun but I didn't really know what I was going to see okay. and I did not expect just the level of attention to detail and in the makeups and wigs and costumes you know I I didn't really know what to expect, but I don't think I expected them to look as good as they did. I didn't expect them to look. I think a lot of people will be surprised that they look, if you didn't know and you passed them, you might think that this person who is a male presenting human in that moment, you would think as a woman. It's like, yeah. And so sometimes it's now I'm friends with them. So sometimes I know them in drag and out of drag. And sometimes you can see the resemblance, but sometimes it looks like a completely different person. <laughs> like, wait, that's you? Yeah, so I was watching a YouTube show with my, my oldest daughter, and this person was being interviewed, you know, in drag, 
And we watched probably like two hours of this interview. Like we were just so so enthralled about the whole backstory and how how we got into it. You know how we chose chose this concept. Like you you mentioned in the attention to detail is what reminded me about seeing this show. Because when I tell you, he was made up to the T. You know, to the T and every last detail. But just listening to to him speak. Just like this is just so much deeper than just putting on makeup and putting on a wig and throwing on a costume. It's like they're, they're, like you said earlier, it's an art form, you know. And I think I, so. I actually invited him to be on this on this show. I think I think I'm gonna try to get him on this this month. See if I can squeeze him in on a Saturday or something. But uh, but he's got he's got a phenomenal backstory. Like and I definitely want to give give him another another outlet to share it on. But so what what was your overall experience from that that first show it was just here we are this is something i've been missing out on for so long and it's right here that in my backyard feeling i was so grateful yes that's awesome and and so do do you still do stuff with them now <laughs> yes i laugh because <laughs> i went from never seeing a show to they're my second family and from that first show, I just started going more and more. At the time, I was married to a man, and he loved drag also. So it wasn't it wasn't work to get him to go to shows. We went to shows together. Yeah. And fast forward, it's probably not even a year. I was diagnosed with cancer, oh. and I had had a double mastectomy, and so I'm recovering at home. This is summer of 2018. So I'm recovering at home maybe four days after my surgery. And I'm not feeling, it wasn't even that I felt particularly bad. I didn't feel great about how I looked. I had crusty hair probably. I don't think I had showered since my surgery because you have to be careful with things like that. So yeah. the hair is kind of crusty. I'm wearing my teenage daughter's button down shirt that I've been wearing for probably three days post-surgery. Yeah. Just not feeling very great. And said to my husband, I want to go to five thinking I can sit here on the couch or I could sit there and watch a show because that's one thing I love about being there. You don't have to stand because some shows it's you're standing the whole time. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I'm like, I need to be sitting and watching my show. So we <laughs> sit and watch a show. I thought, well, I could sit there. Or I could sit here. So we went and sat and I'm watching and the queen who was the host of that show, Brianna, I knew who she was, but we weren't friends yet like i don't think she knew who I, she didn't know who i was at all and i had yeah. just seen a couple of her shows and during the middle of the show she's making small talk and kind of at the halfway point of the show she bops around to the audience and at one point looks at my husband and "Ooh, who are you we're here with which that happened a lot he was very mm -hmm. uh kind of a metrosexual person and a lot of times i was asked if he was gay especially if they didn't know me okay. he's like mm -hmm. wow who's this my husband so <laughs> not a surprise that the queen is looking at him and he just <laughs> looked kind of corner of his eyes of my wife and she turned her head and just stopped and froze and she says you're pretty like really pretty and and i knew she meant it like i could just tell it wasn't her saying a line and here i am yeah. feeling not so great about myself and how i looked and she is gorgeous and made up to the t and i didn't cry in real life, but I was definitely crying on the inside. Just, <laughs> and so uh, that just solidified it that much more. So I thought, okay, well, I'm never missing one of her shows. So I just started going more and more and more and more. And then 
we can get into it or not, but my marriage imploded. Okay. Also- oh, you know what? Wait, wait. Let's stop there. <laughs> Let's stop there. Marriage imploded. <laughs> we'll pick up. We'll pick up there. I want to go back to the cancer diagnosis. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to just gloss over that because I feel like that's a big part of the story as well. So did you did you just go for a routine check and discovered it? Were you not feeling well? It's like, just take me through how you found out you had it. Neither. So the year prior, I have a unique story in that the year prior, I had had a mammogram at the recommendation of a friend, which I was 40. It was like, oh, that's a good age. Go get a mammogram. Okay. Got it. And they found a spot that they weren't sure about. So the year before my diagnosis, I was actually freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they did a biopsy and said, oh no, it's, it's not their calcifications. You're okay. But come back in a year. Okay. And I kind of forgot about it. And then a year later, I almost forgot to make the appointment. I had had a sinus infection. And while I'm checking out, I thought, oh yeah, I was supposed to have another mammogram. Okay. So I just scheduled Mm -hmm. it. Thinking again, it's not going to be anything. It wasn't anything the last time. They found something suspicious again, had to do a biopsy again. And even up to that point, I thought, no, 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 it's fine. But then I get the call. So I had the biopsy and the next day I get the call and the nurse says, I'm so sorry, there's cancer. And I was, I wasn't blindsided in that. I knew it was a possibility and it had been a possibility really for that whole year, but when I was having the check, I really wasn't expecting it. So then, and then it's a whirlwind from there, you know, the diagnosis and appointment after appointment, you know, is it, is it just in one spot? Has it spread? What's the treatment plan? Just appointment after appointment, after appointment, after appointment. And it was really a struggle because in that maybe six weeks time, I'm telling some people really close to me, but I'm not telling my children because I didn't want to tell them until I knew exactly what to tell them. So I'd be having calls. And then if I happened to get a call and they were home, I'd like take run outside and take the call outside. And especially because their experience with cancer was, well, uncle Corey had cancer and then he died. So I wasn't going to say, well, I have cancer, but I don't really know anything more than that. I didn't think that was fair to them at all. So it was a lot of weeks of, Take a test, wait a few days, take a test, wait a few days, boom, 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 till I finally, after that six weeks, knew exactly A, where it was, how it had spread, what's happening, and a treatment plan. So I didn't tell, as it worked out, I don't think I told the kids till maybe, it might have even been within the week of having my surgery, okay. because I didn't, I didn't know the plan until once we had the plan, then it was full court press, and it was... Yeah rapid fire of a surgery. I did have chemo. I had radiation, all the things. Wow. And so I love the basketball reference there. So kudos for that. And uh, what was, what was your initial conversation with, with your husband, like regarding the diagnosis? It was, he knew, he knew it was a possibility, obviously, you know, cause we were married the year before. So yeah. we knew it was possible then he knew I was having, the test. And so I just told him that when he got home from work, it's funny that, I don't know if that's funny or not, but he wasn't mm-hmm. the first to know my best friend knew before him because she called and asked. I mean, we oh. have the relationship where we talk every single day, even now we've talked every day for years. And so she knew I had the appointment. She knew when I had the appointment. And so she called and was like, updates I need to know. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to lie to her. So I told her 
And I thought about calling my husband at work, but thought, I, do I need to derail his work day? Like I can tell him tonight. Yes. And so I told him and he was pretty upset. He had a really, I honestly think he had a harder time with it than I did because it, I, and I don't even know if I knew this, but his godmother had had breast cancer and passed away. So not only is that his story, he knows this person had it and didn't live, but then also probably all the grief and all wow. those feelings that bubble up because of his past experience with it. So it was a little well, weird. Well, that, that and you're his wife. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the time, you know, uh, you know, before the implosion, I'm sure there was a time where, you know, he loved you. And hearing that your loved one has that, yeah, that's that's scary. I feel like there was a time that I was comforting him with my diagnosis, which sometimes feels <laughs> a little backwards. I'm thinking, so this is my dose diagnosis. It's my body. But he was having such a hard time with it. It felt like I needed to comfort him. I actually found him a support group, which okay. he joined and it really helped him, I think. And so it, you never know how someone's going to react to news like that and really? how they're going to react and how they're going to process and then how you, how you then reflect their reactions. And See, but like, then I, once we dove into it, then it was just, let's go, you know, let's yeah. do the treatment. Let's do the things. The not knowing, I think, is worse than than actual the treatment. All those those six weeks of let me take a test and wait a few days and that anxiety and waiting yeah. for the results. And then we do another one and then you're all the waiting. But once and I will I give my oncologist so much credit from the time we met, we met in June of 2018. I was in some form of treatment through really September of 19 and it never changed from that first day. He said, we're going to do this down to the drugs. It was, we're doing this drug, this drug, this. we're doing these for six weeks. We're doing these for 12 weeks. Then you're having six weeks of radiation and boom, boom, boom. Everything, everything he said we were doing, we did. Yeah. And I keep and had the treatment plan and the treatment plan was exactly what he had suggested it to be. Nice. And you're nice and healthy now. Mm, awkward. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. The, no, the cancer came back, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had had this experience thinking, I'm good. I'm cancer free. Yay. Mm. And during the pandemic, my back was hurting and didn't think much of it other than, well, I'm getting, quote, older and um, I'm sitting a lot. It's the pandemic. Maybe I'm not moving as much. Started seeing a chiropractor things aren't going well. Yeah. I see my oncologist in April of 21 for just routine blood work because you get checked. You do get checked yeah. at certain times, which makes sense. And my blood work was fine. Just still so interesting to me. Blood work was good, but my oncologist is a wonderful human who I feel, I mean, we're, fr I feel like we're friends and yeah. just said, Hey, you know how, what else is new? What else is going on? And I said, Oh yeah. I mean, my back hurts all the time. But, and I'm sure in his mind immediately was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a generally healthy person other than mm -hmm. this cancer business. So what's going on? Ended up having an MRI, having, having a PET scan, having biopsy, all the things. And the cancer has metastasized. So it's in different spots of my body. So I'm back in treatment again. Aww. So it's, it's life. This, for anybody who's watching this, if you see a video, this is not my hair. But oh. it's very exciting. My hair actually just started growing back. So okay. I'm in a spot of treatment that for some reason it's chemotherapy, but it's somehow a targeted chemotherapy that's allowing my hair to grow back, which I'm 
no. super excited about. Okay. <laughs> wow. So the battle for so the battle rages on. It does indeed. It's it's very interesting having it be a second time. You think some of the memories are exactly what they were. Like, oh, I remember this. This is similar. And then some things are completely different. Well, but, I had a guy on who who beat it four four times. So you know, so stay strong. <laughs> All right, stay strong. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. That's what I'm doing. Just living life. Yeah, like I said in my my video earlier. Obviously, it's an injury versus an versus uh, an illness. But you know, I, I was told I would never run or jump again. You know, and it's like you know, that's not for you to decide. <laughs> you know, right? It's, it's not. It's like you put me back together, and then I will decide how I'm gonna how I'm gonna proceed. You know, like. You I, I'm sure you've you've heard of Les Brown, the speaker. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Les Brown, he was he was battling cancer as well, and he he gave a story. I, I was part of, of of a master class, and he was a guest speaker, and he said he was speaking with his doctor, and the doctor basically told him, you know, we're we're at the end of our scope of what we can do, and so Les Brown says, so you're basically telling me I'm gonna die, and he's like, no, I'm telling you that we've done everything we can do. He's like, what happens now is between you and God. And I was like, okay. I, love, I was like, I love that. It's like, that's, that's powerful right there. It's powerful. Cause so many, like I've known people who have, have been told that they have six months to live and a decade later, they're still here. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I always tell people like, Hey, it, like your will to survive is more powerful than anything. You know what I mean? It really is. So I got, I got faith in you. Keep fighting. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay, so we're going to segue from that into an implode, imploded marriage. <laughs> yeah, so uh, five months into chemotherapy, things are moving along. Treatments, it's going okay. I mean, overall, I tolerated it pretty well, but I did have a couple short little hospital stays. I'd had my first blood transfusion. I'd never done that before I had oh, cancer. Okay. So, but... Overall, I will say overall, and compared to I know a lot of people, I feel like I tolerated chemotherapy quite well. Okay. So the the precursor to before, the, the couple things before the implosion, I already mentioned earlier, my birthday's in October. It is very, very special to me. And my husband that year didn't really do much to celebrate it. And I was very upset about that because I thought okay. this is the worst year of my life. And... I'm still here. Like we should, if ever a year to celebrate that I'm still alive, let's yes. celebrate. And it didn't <laughs> yeah. really work out that way. And I was angry and I was not nice to him. I own that. I was very, very mean for mm-hmm. a while. I was just so upset. Like, why? Like, why could you not pull it together? Especially because we had had conversations in the past year of this is important and I want you to take the lead. I felt like I had spelled it out, but yeah. So I was very upset and I was not nice. And fast forward pretty much about a month after my birthday, where things are still pretty icy between us. <laughs> and I went to bed. We were sleeping in different rooms, not because of not because I was mad, but because of my treatment. And he snored like crazy. And so he slept somewhere else to allow me better sleep. So I give him credit for that. That was him being a good human. So we were sleep. I was in one place. He was in the other. And it's maybe 11.30 at night, and I get an odd message on Facebook. I get an odd post or comment on a post that thought, okay, that's weird, that's weird. And then I get a message on Instagram that said, your husband tried to cheat on you with me. Oh. Uh, Oh, uh, okay. okay. 
<laughs> yeah. And as it turns out, it was a conversation. There wasn't a physical activity, but there was a conversation. And I was a mess. I was a disaster. I I was just thinking, you did this, you did this while you did this while your wife was fighting cancer. Come on. Yeah, like you, it's never a good time to do it, but you did it then and went back and forth and back and forth. And it was kind of at the end of the day, my decision, whether we were going to stay together or not, which also seems unfair. It was kind of like, well, I want to be with you. But I mean, if you don't, it was kind of like, but that's okay. Uh, so I didn't feel like there was much fight and yeah. I mean, so, men say, men say stupid stuff at times. We do. It's true. I, I won't argue with that. So I just knew there were a couple pieces to their conversation that were just too painful. And I just knew I he he made this choice that he knew would hurt me and he did it anyway. And I remember thinking over and over again, thinking, I'm not friends with people who hurt, hurt me on purpose. Yeah. I have, I am very fortunate. I have an amazing friend network. I always say my friends are amazing and I really mean it. And they're kind and wonderful and loving and fierce and loyal and all these things. And I'm thinking if that's the bar for my friends, why would I set a lower bar for my husband? Love that. And so he, he did not reach the bar. And so we decided no, really, I decided just, I said, uh, I just don't want to be married to you anymore. And he said, okay. Like that was it. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like, well, that just confirmed I was thinking because Yeah. He he was already mentally was checked out. Yeah. He was he was done. And to think because many times, and I remember telling a therapist this, and she was just shocked thinking, you usually expect a no, 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 what can I do? I'll do anything and mm. what can I do? And it was just okay. Like that was that. And at that time, I started going, I even upped as if I wasn't going to five enough. Then I really went to five more because we were still living in the same house because I couldn't afford the house by myself. So ugh, like living together, but having this roommate thing, oh, gross. Been, I don't recommend there. it. I've been there. <laughs> so I was going, he would go to bed and the and I felt like, He's here. He's sleeping. The kids, I have my kids halftime from a first marriage prior to him and thought, well, the kids are here. They're safe. And so I would go to five and I would be crying, just tears streaming down my face, driving that five minutes when I'd get there, park the car, wipe my face and say, you can't cry at a drag show. <laughs> and then I'd go in. And so at this lowest, lowest time of my life, when I have very little hair. I, I love my hair. I, I'm that's probably one of the hardest things in my treatment. All that's like, oh, I like my hair. I'm very vain and I'm willing to admit it. I don't care. Nothing wrong with it. I like having <laughs> hair. And so not having hair, knowing that my marriage is pretty much over. I'm in my 40s. I'm just not feeling particularly great. And then I walk into this space where it's, hey fabulous. Oh, how are you? Oh, looking gorgeous. And just all this love constantly poured on me. I'm like, what, where, where else would I go? Why else wouldn't I go there four days a week if I wanted to? See, and I, I read the, the intro for your book where you had said that, you know, go, uh, the drag community changed your life or saved your life, something, something along my life. those lines. And so mm -hmm. that, was, that was why I stopped you before we went into the marriage because I knew I wanted to get the rest of that journey and now that right there just made that part so much more powerful. Like, you know, getting getting that full scope. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so all right. So you leaned into that community, and then how did you pick up the pieces and move forward? Staying within that community. I mean, I really feel like they. You said changed. They did. They changed and saved my life. I mean, they. I think back to where I was years ago, just the lowest, you know, really probably the lowest place in my life ever. And they were just there for me. And then they're there for me. They're there for me. I feel like I'm more, I feel like I'm more who I should have always been, but I didn't feel like I permission me. So I can wear sparkles and glitter on a daily basis and own that and just be my wild, extroverted, loud self and just be loved for all of it instead of trying to feel like I needed to be a certain person. Just be whoever I want to be and have them love me through it all. I love that. And in, in my teachable moments, I say that one a lot about about being being your, yourself. Like I mentioned earlier that, that I'm single now. And it's, you know, it's very easy to point to, you know, the wrongdoings or the, the shortcomings of the other person on as to, to why to why things didn't work out. So like after this last one a few years ago, I said, no, I said, let me just step back and let me just evaluate me. It's like, say, where am I going wrong in all of this? And it's because I'm, I, I can't be me. Because same thing, like I'm loud, I'm extroverted, I'm super competitive. Some people would say I got an ego, you know? I just say I'm very competitive. I'm very <laughs> sure of, I'm very sure of myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I find when I get in these, in these relationships, I have to not be me. And then over time, you end up resenting the fact that you can't be you. That you can't be yourself. Yeah. It's and like, you're resenting it's like, that person for that. Yes. Yeah, like when I go to Disney, I want to put on bunny ears and I want to skip down Main Street USA. Right. I'm in the happiest place on earth. Damn it. I want to show it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I was like, that's just me. That's how I'm wired. Like, I don't, I don't want to do grown up stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like sitting down, having some wine by candlelight. For the people that love it, go get it. I want a zip line. <laughs> I want a parasail. <laughs> you know, like I'm a I'm a thrill junkie. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's just that's just who I am. Like I stated earlier about speaking on stages. Like I, I just love the limelight. <laughs> you know, so that's just that's me. That's you. you. Know? That's mm-hmm. me. You know, and and I and I really feel that's why a lot of relationships end up going south because you know when you first meet someone you you're getting their best you know you're mm-hmm. getting their best mm-hmm. and you're going out of your way to impress this person and to keep this person's attention and then then you get comfortable and then, then it all just stops <laughs> so it's like now when i'm finding being single it's like no i can i get to be me every day <laughs> like, that. you know it's like i don't have to <laughs> i don't have to hide when i'm in the gym i'm i'm the leader of the group so it's like I I can be me, and then I attract the people who need my type of energy. Yes, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in your moment, as you're rebuilding yourself, you know, like did did you find that moment where it's like, you know what, I can be me? Yeah, I don't even think it hit me until way after the fact. Because I was still, for so long, I was still just so sad. And I was sad for a long time. But it was like, I was sad. And then I got to be in the space where I was happy. And then I was still sad. And then just time, you know, that it's so cliche, but time heals wounds, you know. (laughs) But you do. Sometimes you just need time. And having more and more and more time 
and then also all this love in this community. It's almost like I came out later and thinking, oh, I don't even know when she when she was built, but here we are. Love it. All right, so I know we were going to try to end a couple minutes early, so let's talk about, about your book real quick, and then we'll break it down. So the book exists for two reasons. One, because of the pandemic. Absolutely. Okay. I am, as you can probably just tell from this, this time together, I am a off the charts extrovert. So I'm highly extroverted and at the time and still single and the pandemic happens and every other week I'm completely alone and it was terrible. It was so now that is the, that was the worst time of my life was that very early pandemic where yes. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't go to five. I didn't have anybody. It was just the week I had the kids and then the other week, nobody. And I had started scribbling notes to the book back in maybe fall of 19. And it was that odd, stubborn streak of mine that thought, fine, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. You know, it's like at that time, like you couldn't even go, you couldn't go to a coffee shop. You could, it was just inside my four walls of my place all of the time yeah. feeling drained. And so I thought, fine, I guess I'll just write my book. <laughs> and that's when I wrote the book. And the second reason is it's really a love letter to that community is okay. it's, that's, the gist of the entire book is I went through this really, really horrible time and you were there for me. And thank you. Love that. Love that. And that's on Amazon. It is. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the, the name again? It's from Queens to Queens, how the Madison drag community saved my life. Awesome. All right. So give us some final words. Well, first, thank you for having me again. My pleasure. And I don't know. I feel like final word, I'm supposed to say something wise and powerful and inspiring. So I'm <laughs> clinging to this. If you can find something in your life that brings you joy, as long as you're not hurting someone else, don't be a jerk. But if you can find <laughs> caveat, don't be a jerk. But if you can find something that brings you joy, hang on to it as tightly as you can. Love it. Yeah. I, I usually say, say that all the time. I tell people like, do the things you love. Stop, stop doing the things you don't enjoy. Just stop it. Even if it hurts other people's feelings, just stop it. You know, like I'll, I'll end on mine. I, um, <clears throat> I donated a kidney to my sister in 2011 and going through that process for the first time I felt my mortality, you know, cause, mm. cause I get it. People live with one kidney all the time, but it just popped into my brain. We got one heart, <laughs> you know, we got one spleen, we got one pancreas. Like there's a lot of things we have one of. We have two lungs, two ears, two nostrils, two eyes, two, two, two kidneys, you know? So it's like wherever we came from decided that we need two. So mm -hmm. it's like, I'm giving one away. So it's like kidney disease runs in my family. Like, what is this going to do to me? And like, that's just the, the first time I actually really questioned life, you know, life and the possibility of death. And in that moment, I was like, I'm not doing things I don't want to do anymore. Like, and I don't care. <laughs> you know, so like we had a, a family reunion. This was a few years ago, but I had a, now our family reunions usually on the third weekend in August, and so sorry, I know you got to go, and so my my parents had it moved, but I had already booked a big hike up in New Hampshire, and so I was like, I can't come Saturday, but I'll be there on Sunday, and I what you're not coming Saturday? I said, Listen, you can get mad all you want to. I will see you guys on Sunday, <laughs> you know, and it's, 
now that I'm consistent with it, like no, no, nobody, nobody bothers me anymore. So it's like, hey, Rob, can you help? Nah, sorry, I can't make it. Okay, you know, just one, one at the hand. You know, like you got to protect your own boundaries. So again, now I can do the things that I love and enjoy on my terms. You know, like yeah. it sounds, it sounds super selfish, but um, it's my life. <laughs> well, and and you could also say, is it selfish? Because if you're living your life the way you really should be living it for yourself, you're going to be better for everybody anyway. Exactly. If you're exactly. living it for other people, but dying on the inside, mm -hmm. you're really not giving anybody your best. Yeah, I, I did an entire episode on that topic. So, <laughs> all right. I know you got to have a heart out. So again, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for sharing your story. I know we dug a little deep there, but that's what I do. I'm here <laughs> you <know>? for it. <laughs> thank you right. again, Robert. Yeah, I'm gonna reach out to you late later on today because I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you with some of my podcast friends. I would love that. All right, have All a right. great day. You too. Bye. 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 All right. So that was Jamie sharing her story. Uh, if you're tuning in late, make sure you go back and watch the full thing. I gotta have a heart out myself. So I will see you all tomorrow. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Till next time, shut up. have to miss anything. And right. I can be there for all of it. So, so the kids can say whatever one thing about me, but you can't say I wasn't present, like because I'm there for everything. Excellent. It's so good. And some businesses are like, oh, you can miss a birthday party because you're building for their future, or whatever. They're never going to be seven again. You miss that party, they're never going to be seven again. They're never going to have. You're never going to be able to get that day back. And yeah. it is so important to be there and your kids remember all of that yep. they don't if you were to die tomorrow what would be more important to you that you see your kids today or that you go work go to work exactly. sit in the office and do some paperwork what's what would you want to do today if you knew you were going to die tomorrow mm -hmm. live every day like that yes i i say stuff like that like that constantly going back to my teachable moment of, of the day about seizing the moment, seizing the opportunity. You know, like if your child's about to do something, that's an opportunity to seize. Because like I said, with my sister, here one moment, next thing you know, she's in a coma for three weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like you got to seize those opportunities when they arise. Because again, they'll remember that like with my two oldest kids, as I said, their mom wasn't in the picture. And that's still... That still haunts them now, you know, like all these years later that that hurt. It's 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 probably never going to go away. And so with my daughter, she's actually she's actually in, in school for kinesiology and she wants to focus on young girls who grew up with, without their mom. You know, because she because she still has that that hurt and she wants to help other girls that have that hurt. But they I remember when my son when my son graduated high school. He gives me a hug like and he held on tight. He's crying. He's like, thank you for always being there. You know, like he didn't say thank, thank you for this trip or thank you for this toy or for finally letting me. He's like, thank you for being there. Because like mom wasn't there. 
you yeah. know? So like this, I always tell people that it doesn't matter how far you make it in your career, it pales in comparison to you being Absolutely. a parent. You know, like I hate, I hate it when I hear stay at home mom say, I don't want to be just a mom. Like there's, there's no better thing you could be. <laughs> there really isn't. Exactly. Like, What's you know, more important? Is there anything yes. more important? You know, nope. it's like, you know, people say, they'll say to me, oh, well, you know, I, I don't have $27 a month to get help or something like that. I'm like, what are you spending $27 a month on? You know, that's more important than your kids. We get trained for everything. We get trained to be a doctor. We get trained to be a plumber. We get trained to be an athlete. We train for everything. Train to be a parent. Learn yeah. to be the best parent you can be. There's no more rewarding gift in life than me watching my children parent their children. Yep. I'm I'm not there yet. Ho hopefully I got a few more years for that. <laughs> very wonderful. It's like, oh look, I did good. See that? I did good. <laughs> it's like one of the one of the biggest things that I liked was like my oldest son. He was probably the the rebel of of the five. And so he was out playing basketball with the twins this one day, and I was just coming out to take out the trash. But just hearing the way that he was motivating the twins, I was like, it's in there. You know, it's in there. He doesn't always display it, but it's in there. <laughs> and, like, and, and that just made me smile. It's like, okay, good. Because I'm very persistent with my teachings, and I constantly give the kids life lessons. Like, everything that we do, like, I took the twins. Well, I took all the kids except my oldest son. We uh we went on a hike up in up in New Hampshire, and we're going up the mountain, up the mountain, up the mountain. And Benjamin's grumbling; he's complaining about it. And so we're coming back down the mountain, and Benjamin's like, "Dad, why do you make us do this?" <laughs> and and I was like, "Do you want the answer?" And he's like, "Well, yeah." I said, "It's I make you do this because that's life. Life is like climbing this mountain. It's going to be hard at times. You're not going to want to do it at times. You're going to want to quit at times." But in order to get to the reward at the top, getting that view at the top, you have to go through some levels of pain. So that's just how life is. Things are not going to be handed to you. There are things that I have to do. Like the fun part is being on the podcast, right? Doing doing the art, you know, doing the background re research on everyone. Right. And it, it, you know what I mean? Like people who cancel, trying to find replacement. Like that's not the fun part of being of doing the podcast. This is the fun part, getting to meet people, hear their stories, hear their experiences. But I have to go through the not fun part to get to the fun part. Right. And, and kids, I think the earlier in life that kids understand that, you know, the better, the better that they're going to be once they're on their own. Right. Understand there's a journey. You know, it's like helping kids through making mistakes. Yes. Mistakes aren't the end of the world. Actually, they're they're a huge part of the world. Yeah, they're needed. You know, they're going to lead you to your success. Yeah. You know, they're they're little speed bumps in the road of life. You yeah. know, oh, slow down, <laughs> slow down, rethink this, rethink this for a minute. Yeah, you know? that's that's how you gain experience. Like experiences from screwing up over and over and over. Then you finally figure out how to screw up less. Exactly. <laughs> like that's experience. Exactly. Hopefully. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> all right. So give us some final words. Tell people how they can contact you, how they can get your book, all that good stuff. Okay. So final words is, and we touched on this, is start noticing the good your children do. Start noticing the positive. And don't just notice 
let them know you noticed. Say something to them. Be specific. Don't just go, oh, that was a good job. Be specific. That was a good job. What? Thank you for helping me clean up the dishes. I really appreciate it. Thank you for helping your brother read that book. I really appreciate it. Start letting them know you know all you've noticed all the good things they do because when children go to choose a behavior if they have one that they know made you proud of them they'll choose that one over the one that didn't make you so proud yes so start rewarding them for their behavior by simply telling them you notice you don't have to pay them they just <laughs> need to know that you see that they're trying and doing good Make your home a positive home. Set them up for success. Stop setting them up for failure. And you guys, it's it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Now, if you'd want to get my books, I would love you to get my books. My books are at celiasbooks.com. There are books because I have Raising Happy Toddlers about to really be released in Spanish. And I have three children's books. Being Different is Fun, I Am Grateful, and All About Me. And they're fun preschool age books to help kids understand their life, understand others, and really connect with the world around them. And gratitude is a huge thing. So start practicing gratitude every day. Uh, also, I'm a Pumped Up Parenting on Facebook. You can go to my website, pumpedupparenting.com, find out all you need to know. Join my Tranquility Tribe. Be one of my million who are stopped yelling from their kids. You don't like to yell. Your kids certainly don't want to hear you yell. So start taking steps to stop it. You will feel so good about yourself and your kids will be so grateful to be your child. So pump up your parenting and reach out. That's what I'm here for. That was awesome. Great. Well, once again, thank you for, for joining us, taking the time. And uh, uh, so I've been doing all-star panels and i'm actually doing one i think in march on parenting if you would like to join i would love it thank awesome. you very much Man, let me we'll definitely down. love that all right yeah because uh i take i take six it's myself plus six of my my prior guests and uh we pick a topic and we we all just go round table discussing the topic but i'm gonna do one specifically on parenting good oh right, yes appreciate that that's great Awesome. Good. So I'll, I'll definitely be in touch. And I, I have podcast friends as well. So shoot me a Facebook friend request and I'll get you hooked up with uh, some of my my other podcast friends. Well, so you can keep spreading the word. And I'd love to have it on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that works for me. <laughs> and I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. May yes. 2022, the year that it's meant to be a great one. Every year is meant to be great. Yes. Love it. All right. Well, you have yourself a great day. Thank you very much. Bye, Robert. Thank you. All right. And so as she just said about making 2020 great, that is the next all-star panel. That is going to be on January 8th at 11 a.m. We have Steve Burlack, who was just on a couple weeks ago. We have Tina Torres, the gratitude specialist. We have Elaine Canelli, who is an author. We have Chandra Gore, the CEO and business coach. We have Sharipa Hardy, also a CEO, business leader, show host, Shay Brown, the founder of the Comeback Champion Summit. So this is going to be another amazing panel. The other four, I have done all of them rock the house. So 
I, this one's not going to be any different. And then we're doing the February panel. It's going to be all about projecting positive energy. And then March, we're going to be doing one on parenting. So these are all on Saturdays at 11 a.m. So please tune in. And uh, as always, thank, thank you guys for tuning in. Have yourselves a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Next time, shut up 